Chapter 4, Part 3 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay. Volume 2 chapter four haunted houses part three at the commencement of the year seventeen sixty there resided in cock lane near west smithfield in the house of one parsons the parish clerk of st sepulchre's a stockbroker named kent the wife of this gentleman had died in childbed during the previous year and his sister-in-law miss fanny had arrived from norfolk to keep his house for him they soon conceived a mutual affection and each of them made a will in the other's favor they lived some months in the house of parsons who being a needy man borrowed money of his lodger some difference arose betwixt them and mr kent left the house and instituted legal proceedings against the parish clerk for the recovery of his money while this matter was yet pending miss fanny was suddenly taken ill of the smallpox and notwithstanding every care and attention she died in a few days and was buried in a vault under clerkenwell church parsons now began to hint that the poor lady had come unfairly by her death and that mr kent was accessory to it from his too great eagerness to enter into possession of the property she had bequeathed him nothing further was said for nearly two years but it would appear that parsons was of so revengeful a character that he had never forgotten or forgiven his differences with mr kent and the indignity of having been sued for the borrowed money the strong passions of pride and avarice were silently at work during all that interval hatching schemes of revenge but dismissing them one after the other as impracticable until at last a notable one suggested itself about the beginning of the year seventeen sixty two the alarm was spread over all the neighbourhood of cock lane that the house of parsons was haunted by the ghost of poor fanny and that the daughter of parsons a girl about twelve years of age had several times seen and conversed with the spirit who had moreover informed her that she had not died of the smallpox as was currently reported but of poison administered by mr kent parsons who originated took good care to countenance these reports and in answer to numerous inquiries said his house was every night and had been for two years in fact ever since the death of fanny troubled by a loud knocking at the doors and in the walls having thus prepared the ignorant and credulous neighbors to believe or exaggerate for themselves what he had told them he sent for a gentleman of a higher class in life to come and witness these extraordinary occurrences the gentleman came accordingly and found the daughter of parsons to whom the spirit alone appeared and whom alone it answered in bed trembling violently having just seen the ghost and been again informed that she had died from poison a loud knocking was also heard from every part of the chamber which so mystified the not very clear understanding of the visitor that he departed 
afraid to doubt and ashamed to believe but with a promise to bring the clergyman of the parish and several other gentlemen on the following day to report upon the mystery on the following night he returned bringing with him three clergymen and about twenty other persons including two negroes when upon a consultation with parsons they resolved to sit up the whole night and await the ghost's arrival it was then explained by parsons that although the ghost would never render itself visible to anybody but his daughter it had no objection to answer the questions that might be put to it by any person present and that it expressed an affirmation by one knock a negative by two and its displeasure by a kind of scratching the child was then put into bed along with her sister and the clergymen examined the bed and bedclothes to satisfy themselves that no trick was played by knocking upon any substance concealed among the clothes as on the previous night the bed was observed to shake violently footnote the woman whose ghost was said to manifest itself in cock lane was buried in the crypt or cloister of st john clerkenwell the vault is composed of two aisles that on the south being much narrower than the other it was here she was deposited about seven years since i was sketching a picturesque trefoil-headed door leading into this part of the vault and the place being at that time in great confusion with coffins remains of bodies some of which were dried like mummies etc i could find no better seat than one of the coffins the sexton's boy who held my light informed me this was the coffin of scratching fanny which recalled the cock lane story to my mind i got off the lid of the coffin and saw the face of a handsome woman with an aquiline nose this feature remaining perfect an uncommon case for the cartilage mostly gives way the remains had become adipocere and were perfectly preserved she was said to have been poisoned by deleterious punch but this was legally disproved and if i remember rightly she was otherwise declared to have died of smallpox of this disease there was not the least sign but as some mineral poisons tend to render bodies adipocere here was some evidence in support of the former allegation i made particular inquiries at the time of mr bird churchwarden a respectable and judicious man and he gave me good assurance that this coffin had always been looked upon as the one containing the cock lane woman since that time the vault has been set in order and the above-mentioned coffin with others put away the niche near the window in the drawing of the ghost room is the place where the bedhead was and where the scratching knocks etc were heard this is the tradition of the house mrs king who holds the premises informs me that her family has had the house about eighty years j w archer End footnote. after some hours during which they all waited with exemplary patience the mysterious knocking was heard in the wall and the child declared that she saw the ghost of poor fanny the following questions were then gravely put by the clergyman through the medium of one mary fraser the servant of parsons and to whom it was said the deceased lady had been much attached the answers were in the usual fashion 
by a knock or knocks do you make this disturbance on account of the ill usage you received from mr kent yes were you brought to an untimely end by poison yes how was the poison administered in beer or pearl in pearl how long was that before your death about three hours can your former servant carrots give any information about the poison yes are you kent's wife's sister yes were you married to kent after your sister's death no was anybody else besides kent concerned in your murder no can you if you like appear visibly to anyone yes will you do so yes can you go out of this house yes is it your intention to follow this child about everywhere yes are you pleased in being asked these questions yes does it ease your troubled soul yes here there was heard a mysterious noise which some wiseacre present compared to the fluttering of wings how long before your death did you tell your servant carrots that you were poisoned an hour yes carrots who was present was appealed to but she stated positively that such was not the fact as the deceased was quite speechless an hour before her death this shook the faith of some of the spectators but the examination was allowed to continue how long did carrots live with you three or four days carrots was again appealed to and said that this was true if mr kent is arrested for this murder will he confess yes would your soul be at rest if he were hanged for it yes will he be hanged for it yes how long a time first three years how many clergymen are there in this room three how many negroes two is this watch held up by one of the clergymen white no is it yellow no is it blue no is it black yes the watch was in a black shagreen case at what time this morning will you take your departure the answer to this question was four knocks very distinctly heard by every person present and accordingly at four o'clock precisely the ghost took its departure to the wheat chief public-house close by where it frightened mine host and his lady almost out of their wits by knocking in the ceiling right above their bed the rumour of these occurrences very soon spread over london and every day cock lane was rendered impassable by the crowds of people who assembled around the house of the parish clerk in expectation of either seeing the ghost or of hearing the mysterious knocks it was at last found necessary so clamorous were they for admission within the haunted precincts to admit those only who would pay a certain fee an arrangement which was very convenient to the needy and money-loving mr parsons indeed 
things had taken a turn greatly to his satisfaction he not only had his revenge but he made a profit out of it the ghost in consequence played its antics every night to the great amusement of many hundreds of people and the great perplexity of a still greater number unhappily however for the parish clerk the ghost was induced to make some promises which were the means of utterly destroying its reputation it promised in answer to the questions of the reverend mr aldrich of clerkenwell that it would not only follow the little miss parsons wherever she went but would also attend him or any other gentleman into the vault under st john's church where the body of the murdered woman was deposited and would there give notice of its presence by a distinct knock upon the coffin as a preliminary the girl was conveyed to the house of mr aldrich near the church where a large party of ladies and gentlemen eminent for their acquirements their rank or their wealth had assembled about ten o'clock on the night of the first of february the girl having been brought from cock lane in a coach was put to bed by several ladies in the house of mr aldrich a strict examination having been previously made that nothing was hidden in the bedclothes while the gentlemen in an adjoining chamber were deliberating whether they should proceed in a body to the vault they were summoned into the bedroom by the ladies who affirmed in great alarm that the ghost was come and that they heard the knocks and scratches the gentlemen entered accordingly with a determination to suffer no deception the little girl on being asked whether she saw the ghost replied no but she felt it on her back like a mouse she was then required to put her hands out of bed and they being held by some of the ladies the spirit was summoned in the usual manner to answer if it were in the room the question was several times put with great solemnity but the customary knock was not heard in reply in the walls neither was there any scratching the ghost was then asked to render itself visible but it did not choose to grant the request it was next solicited to give some token of its presence by a sound of any sort or by touching the hand or cheek of any lady or gentleman in the room but even with this request the ghost would not comply there was now a considerable pause and one of the clergymen went downstairs to interrogate the father of the girl who was waiting the result of the experiment he positively denied that there was any deception and even went so far as to say that he himself upon one occasion had seen and conversed with the awful ghost this having been communicated to the company it was unanimously resolved to give the ghost another trial and the clergyman called out in a loud voice to the supposed spirit that the gentleman to whom it had promised to appear in the vault was about to repair to that place where he claimed the fulfillment of its promise at one hour after midnight they all proceeded to the church and the gentleman in question with another entered the vault alone and took up their position alongside of the coffin of poor fanny the ghost was then summoned to appear but it appeared not it was summoned to knock but it knocked not it was summoned to scratch but it scratched not and the two retired from the vault 
with a firm belief that the whole business was a deception practiced by Parsons and his daughter. There were others, however, who did not wish to jump so hastily to a conclusion, and who suggested that they were perhaps trifling with this awful and supernatural being, which, being offended with them for their presumption, would not condescend to answer them. Again, after serious consultation, it was agreed on all hands that if the ghost answered anybody at all, it would answer Mr. Kent, the supposed murderer, and he was accordingly requested to go down into the vault. He went with several others, and summoned the ghost to answer whether he had indeed poisoned her. There being no answer, the question was put by Mr. Aldrich, who conjured it, if it were indeed a spirit, to end their doubts, make a sign of its presence, and point out the guilty person. There being still no answer for the space of half an hour, during which time all these boobies waited with the most praiseworthy perseverance, they returned to the house of Mr. Aldrich and ordered the girl to get up and dress herself. She was strictly examined, but persisted in her statement that she used no deception and that the ghost had really appeared to her. So many persons had, by their openly expressed belief of the reality of the visitation, identified themselves with it, that Parsons and his family were far from being the only persons interested in the continuance of the delusion. The result of the experiment convinced most people, but these were not to be convinced by any evidence, however positive, and they therefore spread abroad the rumor that the ghost had not appeared in the vault, because Mr. Kent had taken care beforehand to have the coffin removed. That gentleman, whose position was a very painful one, immediately procured competent witnesses, in whose presence the vault was entered, and the coffin of poor Fanny opened. Their depositions were then published, and Mr. Kent indicted Parsons and his wife, his daughter, Mary Fraser the servant, the Reverend Mr. Moore, and a tradesman, two of the most prominent patrons of the deception, for a conspiracy. The trial came on in the Court of King's Bench on the 10th of July, before Lord Chief Justice Mansfield, when, after an investigation which lasted twelve hours, the whole of the conspirators were found guilty. The Reverend Mr. Moore and his friend were severely reprimanded in open court, and recommended to make some pecuniary compensation to the prosecutor for the aspersions they had been instrumental in throwing upon his character. Parsons was sentenced to stand three times in the pillory, and to be imprisoned for two years, his wife to one year's, and his servant to six months' imprisonment in the Bridewell. A printer, who had been employed by them to publish an account of the proceedings for their profit, was also fined fifty pounds and discharged. The precise manner in which the deception was carried on has never been explained. The knocking in the wall appears to have been the work of Parson's wife, while the scratching part of the business was left to the little girl. That any contrivance so clumsy could have deceived anybody cannot fail to excite our wonder. But thus it always is. If two or three persons can only be found to take the lead in any absurdity, however great, there is sure to be plenty of imitators. Like sheep in a field, if one clears the style, the rest will follow. 
about ten years afterwards london was again alarmed by the story of a haunted house stockwell near vauxhall the scene of the antics of this new ghost became almost as celebrated in the annals of superstition as cock lane mrs golding an elderly lady who resided alone with her servant anne robinson was sorely surprised on the evening of twelfth day seventeen seventy two to observe a most extraordinary commotion among her crockery cups and saucers rattled down the chimney pots and pans were whirled downstairs or through the windows and hams cheeses and loaves of bread disported themselves upon the floor as if the devil were in them this at least was the conclusion that mrs golding came to and being greatly alarmed she invited some of her neighbors to stay with her and protect her from the evil one their presence however did not put a stop to the insurrection of china and every room in the house was in a short time strewed with the fragments the chairs and tables joined at last in the tumult and things looked altogether so serious and inexplicable that the neighbors dreading that the house itself would next be seized with a fit of motion and tumble about their ears left poor mrs golding to bear the brunt of it by herself the ghost in this case was solemnly remonstrated with and urged to take its departure but the demolition continuing as great as before mrs golding finally made up her mind to quit the house altogether she took refuge with anne robinson in the house of a neighbor but his glass and crockery being immediately subjected to the same persecution he was reluctantly compelled to give her notice to quit the old lady thus forced back to her own house endured the disturbance for some days longer when suspecting that anne robinson was the cause of all the mischief she dismissed her from her service the extraordinary appearances immediately ceased and were never afterwards renewed a fact which is of itself sufficient to point out the real disturber a long time afterwards anne robinson confessed the whole matter to the reverend mr brayfield this gentleman confided the story to mr hone who has published an explanation of the mystery anne it appears was anxious to have a clear house to carry on an intrigue with her lover and resorted to this trick to effect her purpose she placed the china on the shelves in such a manner that it fell on the slightest motion and attached horse-hairs to other articles so that she could jerk them down from an adjoining room without being perceived by any one but she was exceedingly dexterous at this sort of work and would have proved a formidable rival to many a juggler by profession a full explanation of the whole affair may be found in the everyday book the latest instance of the popular panic occasioned by a house supposed to be haunted occurred in scotland in the winter of the year eighteen thirty eight on the fifth of december the inmates of the farmhouse of balderoch in the district of banchery aberdeenshire were alarmed by observing a great number of sticks pebble stones and clods of earth flying about their yard and premises they endeavoured but in vain to discover who was the delinquent and the shower of stones continuing for five days in succession they came at last to the conclusion that the devil and his imps were alone the cause of it the rumour soon spread over all that part of the country 
and hundreds of persons came from far and near to witness the antics of the devils of Baldoroch. After the fifth day, the shower of clods and stones ceased on the outside of the premises, and the scene shifted to the interior. Spoons, knives, plates, mustard pots, rolling pins, and flat irons appeared suddenly endued with the power of self-motion, and were whirled from room to room and rattled down the chimneys in a manner which nobody could account for. The lid of a mustard pot was put into a cupboard by the servant girl in the presence of scores of people, and in a few minutes afterwards came bouncing down the chimney to the consternation of everybody. There was also a tremendous knocking at the doors and on the roof, and pieces of stick and pebble stones rattled against the windows and broke them. The whole neighborhood was a scene of alarm, and not only the vulgar, but persons of education, respectable farmers within a circle of twenty miles, expressed their belief in the supernatural character of these events, and offered up devout prayers to be preserved from the machinations of the evil one. The note of fear being once sounded, the visitors, as is generally the case in all tales of wonder, strove with each other who should witness the most extraordinary occurrences, and within a week it was generally believed in the parishes of Banshery Turnin, Drumoak, Durris, Kincardine O'Neill, and all the circumjacent districts of Mearns and Aberdeenshire, that the devil had been seen in the act of hammering upon the housetop of Baldoroch. One old man asserted positively that, one night, after having been to see the strange gambols of the knives and mustard pots, he met the phantom of a great black man, quote, who wheeled round his head with a whizzing noise, making a wind about his ears that almost blew his bonnet off, end quote, and that he was haunted by him in this manner for three miles. It was also affirmed and believed that all horses and dogs that approached this enchanted ground were immediately affected, that a gentleman, slow of faith, had been cured of his incredulity by meeting the butter-churn, jumping in at the door as he himself was going out, that the roofs of houses had been torn off, and that several ricks in the cornyard had danced a quadrille together, to the sound of the devil's bagpipes re-echoing from the mountain-tops, the women in the family of the persecuted farmer of Balderoch also kept their tongues in perpetual motion, swelling with their strange stories the tide of popular wonder. The good wife herself and all her servants said that whenever they went to bed they were attacked with stones and other missiles, some of which came below the blankets and gently tapped their toes. One evening a shoe suddenly darted across a garret, where some laborers were sitting, and one of the men who attempted to catch it swore positively that it was so hot and heavy he was unable to hold it. It was also said that the bear-beater, a sort of mortar used to bruise barley in, an object of such weight that it requires several men to move it, spontaneously left the barn and flew over the housetop, alighting at the feet of one of the servant-maids and hitting her but without hurting her in the least, or even causing her any alarm, it being a fact well known to her that all objects thus thrown about by the devil lost their specific gravity and could harm nobody, even though they fell upon a person's head. 
among the persons drawn to balderoch by these occurrences were the heritor the minister and all the elders of the kirk under whose superintendence an investigation was immediately commenced their proceedings were not promulgated for some days and in the meantime rumour continued to travel through all the highlands magnifying each mysterious incident the farther it got from home it was said that when the good wife put her potato pot on the fire each potato as the water boiled changed into a demon and grinned horribly at her as she lifted the lid that not only chairs and tables but carrots and turnips skipped along the floor in the merriest manner imaginable that shoes and boots went through all the evolutions of the highland fling without any visible wearers directing their motions and that a piece of meat detached itself from the hook on which it hung in the pantry and placed itself before the fire whence all the efforts of the people of the house were unable to remove it until it was thoroughly roasted and that it then flew up the chimney with a tremendous bang at balderoch itself the belief was not quite so extravagant but the farmer was so convinced that the devil and his imps were alone the cause of all the disturbance that he travelled a distance of forty miles to an old conjurer named willie foreman to induce him for a handsome fee to remove the enchantment from his property there were of course some sensible and educated people who after stripping the stories circulated of their exaggeration attributed all the rest to one or other of two causes first that some gypsies or strolling mendicants hidden in the neighboring plantation were amusing themselves by working on the credulity of the country people or secondly that the inmates of balderoch carried on this deception themselves for some reason or other which was not very clear to anybody the last opinion gained but few believers as the farmer and his family were much respected and so many persons had in the most open manner expressed their belief in the supernatural agency that they did not like to stultify themselves by confessing that they had been deceived at last after a fortnight's continuance of the noises the whole trick was discovered the two servant lasses were strictly examined and then committed to prison it appeared that they were alone at the bottom of the whole affair and that the extraordinary alarm and credulity of their master and mistress in the first instance and of the neighbors and country people afterwards made their task comparatively easy a little common dexterity was all they had used and being themselves unsuspected they swelled the alarm by the wonderful stories they invented it was they who loosened the bricks in the chimneys and placed the dishes in such a manner on the shelves that they fell on the slightest motion in short they played the same tricks as those used by the servant girl at stockwell with the same results and for the same purpose the gratification of a love of mischief they were no sooner secured in the county jail than the noises ceased and most people were convinced that human agency alone had worked all the wonder some few of the most devoutly superstitious still held out in their first belief and refused to listen to any explanation these tales of haunted houses especially those of the last and present century however they may make us blush for popular folly 
are yet gratifying in their results for they show that society has made a vast improvement had parsons and his wife and the other contrivers of the cock lane deception lived two hundred years earlier they would not perhaps have found a greater number of dupes but they would have been hanged as witches instead of being imprisoned as vagabonds the ingenious anne robinson and the sly lasses of baldoroch would doubtless have met a similar fate thus it is pleasant to reflect that though there may be as much folly and credulity in the world as ever in one class of society there is more wisdom and mercy in another than ever were known before lawgivers by blotting from the statute book the absurd or sanguinary enactments of their predecessors have made one step towards teaching the people it is to be hoped that the day is not far distant when lawgivers will teach the people by some more direct means and prevent the recurrence of delusions like these and many worse which might be cited by securing to every child born within their dominions an education in accordance with the advancing state of civilization if ghosts and witches are not yet altogether exploded it is the fault not so much of the ignorant people as of the law and the government that have neglected to enlighten them End of chapter four part two recording by linda johnson